I'm Becky, and welcome to another episode of the Salty Mums podcast, where we explore motherhood from a Christian perspective through women's stories and wisdom to help us remain the salt of the earth in today's culture. Hello, 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 and welcome back to season three of the podcast. It is such a delight to be back because it has been a little bit of a a while, (laughs) apologies, Um, but it's been a busy old time over here at Salty Mums HQ. But whilst I've been away, I have really enjoyed looking at episodes being downloaded literally all over the world in every continent, bar Antarctica, of course, we'll forgive that. yeah, so thank you to loyal listeners and um, newish listeners and, and welcome here if this is the first episode that you're listening to of the podcast. And it's a good episode to start on because the guest that we've got on today is a corker, <laughs> frankly. Um, so the, the lady who we've got on today is Lucy Rycroft, who you may know better as the face of the Hopefield family, or you may have seen her on the Parenting for Faith Instagram or, or podcast too. But what I love about Lucy is she is super relatable, particularly if you're someone like me, who um, is perhaps a bit a bit more on the chaotic side of life, a bit, bit of a tendency to be late, which I'm working on. Um, um, but so many times throughout the podcast recording, I get saying, oh, I really empathise with that. Oh, yeah, I can, I really get that. Um, um, but she also has so much insight and um, wisdom to give on that. And she also... In- creates the most incredible discipleship resources including her amazing books which i'll make sure i share a link to in the show notes but for now here she is so lucy tell us a little bit about yourself um, so yeah, I'm Lucy. I run a blog kind of ministry called the Hopefield Family for Christian parents, especially adopters, but not exclusively adopters. And yeah, we live in York. Uh, I'm married to Al, who runs a church here. He's a vicar. And we have four kids aged 14, 12 and nine-year-old twins. We have two birth children. The older two are birth children and our twins are adopted. We adopted them at 14 months so they've been with us eight years now and we have a dog crazy cockapoo he's called Monty and he's very lovely but really badly behaved (laughs) and yeah most of my life is spent um kind of working and looking after the kids but when I get a moment I like to read I like to cook I like to have friends over and host um I'm a pianist I like playing leading worship and watching good comedy, listening to music. Yeah. Oh, and chocolate is my main hobby, probably. <laughs> Very important, yeah. Very important up there. <laughs> and also, you're currently working for Parenting for Faith as well? Yes. I was about to mention that and I forgot okay. that. Yes. So I'm currently, uh, I'm on a maternity cover at Parenting for Faith. Uh, a bit complicated. I was on a maternity cover there last year and now a different maternity cover. But um, yeah, I work for Parenting for Faith, which is an amazing organization. And one I appreciated a lot when I was not working for them. <laughs> so now it's a real joy to be working with them and helping parents and carers raise God-connected kids and teens. Awesome. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about your journey through motherhood has it been what you've expected or harder easier Mm. I think like many of us I probably set myself very very high expectations when I first became a mum 
So our firstborn was born in September. Well, actually, all our children were born in September, so that's a busy and expensive month. Yeah, yeah kind of. <laughs> uh, that's one way of putting it. Um, but I was a teacher before we had children. So, and we, um, so I finished my job at the end of July, and then we moved up to York uh, so that my husband could start his curacy. He just finished his training at that point. So it was all kind of very well timed. I stopped my job, and I didn't have anything to go back to. And I didn't want to, and I didn't have to, fortunately, in the fortunate position of, of being given this vicarage. So I didn't have to return to work. And I kind of had this idea that, you know, I'm going to do everything right. I'm going to be at home for my children. I'm going to be everything they need me to be. And I'm going to take them to all the right activities and, you know, do my best with these children. They were almost like my little projects. And I think as time has gone on, I mean, of course, you want to do the best for your children. We still do. And and that's not a bad aim. But I think as time goes on, I've realized that I can't be everything to my children. I can't be all that they need. <laughs> and um, and also that there's no one right way. I think when I gave up work, I'd never have said this aloud. But my my thinking, my inner monologue was the best thing you can do for your child to stay at home with them um, if you can. You know, and I understood that some people couldn't, but I always felt that that was the best choice. And now I look around and, and see lots and lots of families and especially lots of families who've, who've, who's, who have grown up alongside our family. And obviously there are loads of good ways of doing it. There's not one good way or best way of raising your children. What I've realized is that it's the time you do have with your children that counts, not the time you're apart from them. Mm-hmm. And I've seen people raise their kids brilliantly as um, part-time workers part-time at home or full-time workers um I've just seen so many different models I've seen dads at home that works really well I've seen uh, moms and dads sharing it I've seen nursery situations childminders nannies all the rest of it you know I've seen pretty much every different kind of family under the sun and and you know you can make it work but it's the time you spend with your children which is crucial and likewise yes I've been at home but I've not always been the parent I've wanted to be and I've been racked with guilt that, oh, maybe I should be at work. Maybe I should be showing my children a better role model of, of a woman who works or, or oh, I'm at home. I should have done this better because I've had the time to do it. You know, I think whatever situation you're in, you will experience that mum guilt um, wrongly because that's that's not how God has intended parenthood to be. But I feel like, um, yeah, that I, I guess that's my journey that that. I have, I've just realized that, you know, the way I'm doing it is, <laughs> is full of flaws and full of sin and full of mistakes. And God in his grace picks me up every time and dusts me off and forgives me. And um, I I hope that I can pass that on to my children. If I pass on nothing else to my children, I hope I can pass them on a God who loves them and forgives them and who they need and who they need to look to over me because I can't be everything to them but God can that's beautiful I really love that and um I relate to so much of what you're saying I think especially as a stay-at-home mum myself and then I feel like I should have like this picture perfect house picture perfect activities so when they come home from school that every moment that they're around me I should be you know lapping up every second with them with highly educational or um faith-based activities you know and and actually the reality is in the day when they're at school it goes in a flash yes and 
I usually spend most of it tidying or doing a bit of podcast work or um, occasionally meeting a friend for a coffee or and just actually just looking after my own body, you know, going to the gym or something. And and I then run out of a bit of, of time, you know, and I do do probably extra things and some working mums do because I have the time. But um, motherhood just seems to be so full of guilt, whatever situation yeah. you're in. So it's really lovely to see how you've moved through that journey. Um, so how's, I, I, you maybe answered this question already, but I don't know if you want, want to unpack it a little bit, but has motherhood impacted or even shaped your faith in any way? Yeah, I guess I have answered it in part, but I think one other thing which I've really learned to do in motherhood is kind of hear from God on the run, you know, because you don't have these long, uninterrupted times where you can pray and read your Bible. I mean, it's lovely if you can have that occasionally, absolutely, but, you know, you can't just take yourself off for a retreat day or, um, you know, sometimes at different stages in motherhood, it's really difficult even to sit and listen to a sermon because you're out with your clingy child and crash or you're on the kids work rotor or you're at home because your child's ill or whatever it is it's really difficult to to have that it's not always easy to join a, a midweek group because you know often they're in the evenings which isn't that easy you know all the rest of it it's just I think spiritual discipline is just a lot harder when you've got kids and so I suppose you need to find different ways of working for you. And, and one of the things I've discovered, and this was confirmed in a word that someone had for me recently, was um, that that I've learned to hear God and and receive from him wherever, whenever. And I've kind of learned that that comes in all shapes and forms and also to trust that when it comes, um, because it's all very well sort of feeling something in your gut, but actually not then sort of waiting for God to confirm that he will confirm it, but also it's good to kind of be open and say, well, that might've been God rather than cast it off as like, Oh, that was just me being silly or whatever. So, yeah, I think, I think that's one of the, one of the main things that I'm reflecting on at the moment, really, especially since having that word recently, I think the word was something along the lines of, uh, you know, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was about how I hear from God. And I sort of hadn't ever thought of myself as somebody who was particularly good at that. And I think that was confirmation of, yeah, you know, it was like God saying to me, when when you have these nudges, when you have these gut instincts, that's that's me. Mm-hmm. Obviously, test it, you know, and 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 check and confirm. But it was it was really nice confirmation to hear that actually yeah, God is so gracious and he will speak through the laundry or the washing up or the changing nappies or the school runs or whatever. He's not waiting for you to set aside half a day to spend with him. He's right there with you in your mess and your busyness. No, absolutely. Because again, we can we can have guilt about that, can't we, as mums? Because you you read a book, like I've, I've been reading The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry and mm. um, listening to some of the podcasts around that. And they're talking about, you know, half an hour with the Lord in the morning. I'm like, what? What, what is this? <laughs> Different universe. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever um, read books like that by men and wonder what their wives are doing? I know. <laughs> I'd love to read a book by his wife. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think she's ruthlessly eliminated Hurry, but maybe I'm <laughs> selling a short. Um, it's actually, it's, it's, I've, I mean, I really enjoy the book and it's mm. It's challenged me because I think busyness is a frame of mind, isn't it? Not yes. necessarily what you're doing. Um, 
and talking of words, my word for last year was be still. From <laughs> that's my word for this year. Oh, is it? How cool is that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I need and... to read that book as part of it. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I've, I'm still not very still, but I'm working. <laughs> I still not quite worked out what it's meant, but um, um, but um, yeah. So you can set these really high standards, but the, there was a thing that went around. I think it was last Easter on social media about how like. If you look in the Bible, God comes to women where they are, whereas men always have to go up the mountain. But if you like look at Mary, like she's in a house and the angel comes to her. And um, I'm just trying to think. Of, I can't think of any examples off the top of my head. That's so I'll interesting. Just, he comes yeah. to Mary and Martha's house, I guess, as well, doesn't he? That's another one. Mm, yeah. And there's oh, like lots, it gives loads of examples of like women's engagements with God compared to men's and I was like that's so interesting and it, it speaks to me as well because I mean I'm, I'm a, I love podcasts as you may have guessed um, and the amount of times you know like I was in the gym the other day and um uh I was listening to a Christian Kane sermon and I had to just stop and like type down what she was saying because it was just so uh powerful so there is there is such grace from god in that isn't it that absolutely we don't have to have these hour-long prayer sessions in the morning <laughs> like our god. Um, male <laughs> virtual leaders are doing but, um, <laughs> um yeah so tell us a little bit more about the hopeful family um would you call it a blog or a website blog i guess yeah, I never know. I call it different things to different people, to be honest. <laughs> it is both. A blog is a website, I guess. Um, yeah, so I started when I had a two-year-old and a baby, and it was just a hobby. It was called Desert Mum back then, and that was because I was in a daytime house group with other mums at the time. In fact, I still am. Um, but this one at the time, it, somebody in my group used to describe early parenthood as being like a spiritual desert because it was hard to find time to have a quiet time, it was hard to attend a midweek group. You often sort of spent the church service feeding your baby or winding your baby or changing your baby or running around after a toddler or whatever. And, and the, all those things which kind of had provided your discipleship before parenthood suddenly weren't really there anymore in the same way. And this phrase spiritual desert really stuck with me. So I called it desert mum. And it really wasn't about children. It was about how do we not only hold on to our faith during parenthood, but grow it? How do we how do we draw closer to Jesus in this time when it's so difficult to receive from him? And some of the things I've just talked about are ways that I've learned to kind of receive from him mm -hmm. over the last 14 years. But um, but at this time I had a two-year-old and a baby. And I, I suppose one aspect of starting the blog was you can never finish a conversation when you've got a two-year-old can you so so part of it was I just want to be able to finish a thought and I can do this by writing and sharing this blog and um, but the other part of it was I had this image of my faith as being like in this glass jar and I thought you know my faith is safe in this glass jar it's preserved but it doesn't have space to grow and I could kind of see a future where I clung on to my faith during parenthood and but then my children would grow up and leave home and all I would have would was the faith that I had 18 years previously mm -hmm. and I realized I didn't want that I wanted to smash that glass jar and I wanted to encourage other mums as well to do that you know not just to see this as a time when we just have to struggle and survive spiritually but actually a time when God really wanted to grow us and 
change us and shape us. And so Desert Mum, to begin with, was all about that, really. It was all about our own discipleship. It was things I was learning from my children about God, but it was always focused on our own discipleship as parents. And then as it's grown, as my children have grown as well, it's become more of a ministry, more of my, uh, certainly before Parenting for Faith, my, my livelihood, my job. Um, but it's it now encompasses family discipleship as well, because that is obviously so important. And when my children were two and zero, I wasn't thinking about that so much. Um, but as I've got older, I've had to grapple with that as well. So so now it's about everything. But I still believe, I think at the heart of the Hopefield family is still this belief that actually we need encouragement as parents. We need um teaching and we need challenge and we need equipping um because if we're in a good place with god then that will flow out to our children it's a bit like you know the the um oxygen mask mentality yeah. isn't it of, of putting your own one on first so so yes i do provide family discipleship resources but the um my heart i think is always you know let's let's build up each other first mm. um so that we're in a good place to disciple our children absolutely and i've i've been having a really good look through your website in the lead up to the uh, to this episode and I love the stuff that you've got on marriage on there and um like you say our discipleship as well it's it's just such a useful resource um for for families um so I really encourage people to look at it we'll share the links at the end so um and one of the things that I really love about your website is you acknowledge the chaos of family <laughs> and it's it's such a contrast from many portrayals of of christian motherhood i think particularly from our friends across the pond <laughs> um but why is it so important for you to portray this side of motherhood and, and family life and, and and do you think there are extra pressures or, or views of, of what christian motherhood should look like i think when i started my blog I had this paranoia that someone who actually knew me would read my blog and then challenge me, Lucy, your family is nothing like this. <laughs> so that's what made me be honest right from the start. <laughs> I didn't want to be shown to be a fraud. <laughs> and there are plenty of people who could uh, show me as a fraud if I wasn't being honest. So I think that's that's where it came from. And, uh, and I'm kind of an honest person anyway in real life. I tend to wear my heart on my sleeve and I... I don't really shy away from, you know, <laughs> you go out with me for a coffee. We could be talking about sex. We could be talking about money or death or any any of the big taboos. I'm just, I'm not really, I don't shy away from that. So, so that's me. And the, the blog, the website is a, a reflection of me. And also it's, it's right, isn't it? Like no family has got it all together. And it's interesting. You mentioned um, American Christian blogs because I think there is a quite a cultural difference there um because I'm sure many of us you know really appreciate American Christian resources whether that's a podcast a blog or whatever um but there is a cultural difference and I think you see it often in our comedy um because I, I love watching comedy and I love watching American comedy and British comedy but they're very different British comedy mm-hmm. often is very self-deprecating you know and the laughs are at a particular person or group of people and it's it's just sometimes it can be a bit cringy to watch um a good example is the british office versus the american office mm-hmm. i love both but they're very different and um british comedy or british drama doesn't really need glamour in order to be um very engaging and i think 
maybe that's a cultural difference at all that I'm very happy to just like hold my hand up and say I struggle with things or um I'm finding something difficult or I messed up I'm very happy to do that so I hope that that's an encouragement to people and actually as I've gone on I've tried to lean into that a bit more because I get that feedback from people that they're happy that I said something or you know they're really grateful they're very encouraged um so what I think of is nothing much to share actually people are finding encouraging which makes me feel that maybe there aren't that many people out there being like normal (laughs) and messy and a bit chaotic in the public eye so maybe if I can do that not that I'm in the public eye sorry that makes me sound like (laughs) I'm some like amazing (laughs) influencer and I'm not at all but you know just somebody who's out there saying it as it is I think is helpful um with a Christian slant because there's lots of secular influencers who do that and do it very well but I think the question for us as Christian mums is you know how do we how do we what do we do with this mess and this chaos you know where's the hope and that's why I'm called the hope-filled family because we're not perfect you know didn't want to give ourselves a name that made us sound like we're perfect but neither did I want to like wallow in that mess and the chaos and the the busyness and the challenges of parenting and actually through it all there is hope Um, there's always hope you know God is is always there to forgive Mm -hmm. (laughs) always loving slow to anger rich in love so so yeah, does that answer your question? I can't. It remember. does. It answers it, <laughs> it beautifully. No, and it, it, it's um. I know I keep saying this, and like, yeah, I totally empathise with that. Um, and it's sort of, it's exactly why we partly started this podcast as well. That sort of, and I never thought about that connection between sort of glamour and American comedy versus Britain and shabbiness. So I was just as you were talking, I was thinking about all the comedies that I like in. UK like one of my favorite is the thick of it which mm. is all politics but it's not glamorous politics no. you know everything looks a bit a little bit shabby at times yep. you know it's sort of haphazard whereas the west wing it's also slick and fast paced I know it's not comedy yeah. but um you know I was thinking if you did a, an American the thick of it it would look very different and yeah. Yeah, I I like the the self deprecating shabbiness. <laughs> Give me it's that. Just people um, willing to make mistakes and be honest about them, isn't it? And and Absolutely. then you sort of breathe a sigh of relief. You go, "Phew, it's not just me." And yeah. I think if people look at what you're producing, whether that's a comedy show or some content on Instagram, and they think, "Phew, it's not just me," then you've kind of done your job, really. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that you have two adopted children twins how yeah. old are they now sorry they're nine they're nine wow and um, was adoption something that was always in your family plan or was it a, a bit of a surprise or and how did the decision <laughs> come about no it was never really in the plan at all um well it was in the plan so much as it was like before we had children it was the route that we felt we would take if we discovered we couldn't have children biologically so it was kind of like there in the background but then we got pregnant quite easily and quickly so that obviously wasn't something we pursued and to be honest the thought of adopting and having birth children really scared me I just Mm -hmm. remember even before I had children just thinking about it and just thinking gosh that would be the worst thing in the world I couldn't ever imagine doing that um Mm -hmm. don't know why um I think I don't know I, I was scared I suppose and fear isn't the best basis of making a decision. But anyway, God blessed us with two birth children. <clears throat> and then 
literally like within weeks of our second child being born I was up in the night feeding her and I was reading the blog of an old friend who had adopted first mm-hmm. and then gone on to have birth children and I found myself growing what I can only describe as a kind of envy of her and her lifestyle and her family and after a little while I realized it was because God was putting adoption on my heart oh, wow. and it was kind of just at the right time because we just had a second child so mm-hmm. we obviously weren't going to do anything very quickly um but also at that time my husband and I hadn't agreed yet on whether or not we'd have a third child so I was yeah. quite I was always quite keen for a big big family my husband wasn't sure so I knew that that third child discussion was going to come but in a funny way because God prompted us about adoption very soon after the second child came it meant that we never had that conversation about birth child so it's not like we ever had to grieve not having a third child naturally if mm. that makes sense yeah um so God knew what he was doing and and we there were two kind of quite significant moments there was one where I had realized this is what God was saying to me in those sleepless nights and I said to him right well God if you're doing this if you want us to adopt you're going to need to tell Al because like I don't want this coming from me you need to call us both to this and then within days of praying that prayer it might have even been the next morning I was coming down the stairs he'd been looking at the news and he said to me guess how many children were adopted in the UK last year (laughs) and And wow. he'd been reading an article about how there was so much red tape and bureaucracy involved in adoption. And that actually led to some major changes, which ended up benefiting us when we went through the adoption process. But the fact that the news article had got his attention enough that he was mentioning it to me, mm. I thought, oh, that's, that's opened up the conversation now. Now we can start talking about this and it's going to be a joint journey, not just me sort of yeah. pushing him into it. So that was really cool. And there was another point at some point in the journey, I can't remember when it was, where I just basically was saying to God but I don't know if I've got enough love for I'm not sure if I could love children I hadn't birthed or or something Mm. like that and and I just felt God say back but I I do I have all the love you need Mm. and just that kind of yeah that that was the only reassurance I needed really that this was right and so we did wait a little while because obviously you know we had a baby (laughs) that wasn't the best time to adopt um, but our older two were six and four eventually when our twins came home. So still quite close in age. Um, I look back and think, gosh, how did we do four children <laughs> under seven? I'm not sure. I don't really remember very much of those years at all. But it was, yeah, I can look back and definitely see God's hand in putting our family together. And, and it does feel like our family is is meant to be. It's the size and the shape that God's wanted for it. That's beautiful. And and what did that process then look like in adoption? So we obviously spent some time thinking and praying about it ourselves. We started to talk to our children about it, just if they asked, like, are you going to have another baby? Or, you know, like little children sometimes get quite interested in that, don't they? Especially our daughter. She was sort of (laughs) two or three and was like, you can have another baby. So we got to explain to them very simply about adoption. And then we started um, gradually talking to like close family, like our our parents, um, about uh about that then we started to make inquiries um and the whole process for us took about a year so uh we uh, having made these inquiries and kind of settled on an adoption agency we started in the january um of 2015 and you move through the process quite quickly it's a six month um, process from from the start to the adoption panel 
So a couple of months of that is just like form filling loads and loads and loads of forms. <laughs> I've never filled in so many forms. And then that's sort of stage one. And then stage two, this is in the UK, by the way, just in case anyone's listening from overseas. Um, stage two is um, more interesting. That's when you get to meet with your social worker every week and they go through absolutely every part of your past. Yeah. So they leave no stone unturned. And actually, to be honest, we really enjoyed it. It felt like free therapy. It was amazing because <laughs> um, she was she was just great in like getting us to reflect on our childhood and our education and our growing up and our jobs and how we see the world. And, you know, that was a great opportunity to share our faith as well. She asked us our opinion on different issues and um obviously she got to see firsthand the support of our church because you you know they want to check you've got a support network and um they go into your finances talk about your money so again that was an amazing opportunity for her to see that you know Christians give a portion mm-hmm. of their money before yeah. they do anything else with it and the, all these sorts of things um we weren't seeing it as an evangelistic opportunity for mm-hmm. a social worker but but it is it, it, you know by God's grace um that we got on so well with our social worker and it was just a lovely opportunity to have some great conversations and then in June, we went to panel um, and got through panel. And then you get to like a, um, you get approved. You're like, yeah, we got approved. And then it's really weird. I think I wrote about it on my blog. You get to this really weird, like no man's land of adoption where you're like, you know, that high of being approved quickly slumps because you're like, well, what what do we do now? We're just waiting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like, hey, you got approved and here's a child. You know, sometimes it happens like that if there just happens to be a child who, you know, suits your family around at the time. But you know, we had to wait and actually it wasn't a long wait. It was probably only a month or so, but it just felt like forever. And um, I didn't know people would say, oh yeah, you'll just know when you see your child. And I was like, what do you mean you'll just know? Like, I don't really feel stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you don't just know until you find your child. And then then you, in hindsight, you think, oh yes, I just knew. But, you know, until you've got to that stage, you don't know. Um, and I actually saw the profile of our twins at a, um, an adoption event um, so there were no children there. Sometimes there were, you have these like adoption parties, sometimes they're called where, where you can actually meet children. Um, and it wasn't that it was a, it was more like a freshers fair, you know, and different adoption agencies had different stands with different children's profiles that you could look at. And, and we were fairly limited because, um, well, by our children, our birth children's ages, and uh, they were five and three coming up to six and four, and you want at least a two year gap usually. Um, and then I saw these twins who weren't yet one at the time. And I was like, ah, <laughs> they'd be perfect. And they just looked so smiley and happy and they love music. And I don't know, I just was like, this is, yeah, this would be amazing. Um, so I inquired and then we didn't hear back for another month. So we'd sort of laid that to rest. And just as we were trying to get over our disappointment, um, they got in touch and said, there's been a lot of interest, but we've shortlisted you and another couple. And then wow. to cut a long story short, that, that you know it went forward with us um, and then you have a period of um sort of family the family finder comes and you know it has to be the right thing for you but obviously the right thing for the child mainly yeah. so it's um it, it that went on for a few months and um you go to a matching panel um it, I think it was a bit longer in our case because you know the matching panels are only every so often and we just missed one so we then mm-hmm. had to wait till the start of November and then we um had our introductions week at the end of November and they moved in at the start of December. So it was all wow. in a year. <laughs> and what what's that first moment like when that child gets handed over to you and the door gets shut with, with you guys' children? The door gets shut and you've suddenly got these two 14-month-old children who yeah. are now yours. And, <laughs> yeah, and I, I suppose... 
sort of on a deeper level you know how does that bond build is was it just quite an immediate sort of feeling of love or was it sort of a yeah and f- feel free to say I don't want to answer that if yeah no 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 happy I'm always as I said I'm very honest I'm happy to talk about anything <laughs> yeah um well I think what helps is that it isn't really just a sudden moment of right they shut the door and then suddenly your children are yours you know firstly you have introductions week which was yeah only a week but quite an intense week of like we went to visit um uh, usually you would go to visit your adopted child or children in their foster home just mm-hmm. for a couple of hours on the first day and then the second day you go back for a bit longer the third day you might come early and do like the morning routine the fourth day you might stay late and do bed and each time you're you're going for longer and longer and each time you're taking on more of the responsibility as well. So like the first day, we didn't do any nappy changes, for example, but second, third day, we were starting to do those. Um, and then uh, taking them out as well. That happened on day three or four, I think, where we were allowed to take them out just by ourselves. So, But then return them to the foster home. So it's all very, yes, it's only a week, but you build up. And then I think by the Saturday, they came to ours for a couple of hours and then went back to foster carers. Um and then Sunday they spent the whole day with us so it was very gradual and then even when the door closes for the final time and you say goodbye to the foster carers which is really sad because they well in our case they were absolutely lovely and we still stay in touch with them now um even once that's happened you then have months of um social worker visits and just people checking that it's all happening um I can't remember exactly now but like technically you're kind of fostering these kids um, because they can't put the adoption order through until a certain number of months after they've been with you. So it might be different in, in different circumstances, but in this kind of more traditional adoption, that's what happens. So it was like another nine months before they got the adoption order to officially become Rycrofts. Um, so all in all, that's like a, yeah, it's quite a long process. Mm, of, yeah. uh, so so that helps to begin with, because you don't feel alone. And, and then the health visitor comes again, <laughs> you know, when you've had two children and then you start getting these regular visits from the mm. health visitor. It's really bizarre because I don't think I even got a health visitor with my second child. And then suddenly you adopt and like everyone's really interested. So you get all the professionals and all the support. And that's really nice. Um, in terms of love, I think um, I think for me, it was fairly immediate. Um, but I also just want to encourage anyone who's listening for whom it's not, because I think it's just different in different cases. And sometimes it does take months to grow. But I remember reading a really lovely blog by Jen Hatmaker, um, who's also an adopter at once. And she said, you kind of focus on what needs to be done. You know, you change the nappies, you feed, you take them out, you take them to the park, you take them to nursery, you do this, that, the other. And as you're doing those things, you know, six months later, you'll look at your kids and you'll realize you love them because you've been doing all this stuff. So you just sort of focus on the job in hand. Um, And this love does develop. And I think in a small number of cases, maybe it doesn't. But I think overall, my experience from other adoptive families is that it does. And if God puts children in your family, he gives you the resources and the capacity to love them. And it's never really kind of been any different for me than the love I have for my birth children lovely it's really encouraging um and so it sounds like you adjusted really well to them but what about because I think if you've already got biological children who there's already that sort of drive to protect isn't there and against everything um however smaller a thing it is um 
I think a lot of people worry about then adopting and the impact it'll have on their biological children. Yeah. And um, how did how did your children adjust to their new siblings? That's a really interesting question because I would look back and say they adjusted really well, bar a few hiccups that you might get, you know, with a new baby. Yeah. Um but I think because their lives from the age of six and four have taken this path, it's really difficult to see how their lives might have been any different if we hadn't have adopted. Like there have been some things that have come up since my eldest two started secondary school where I've thought, gosh, was this because from the age of six and four, they sort of had to become a bit more independent because suddenly we were dealing with twins and that there was yeah. one each. That's nothing to do with adoption. That's just to do with having more children in the house. Um, I think, you know, we all go through good things and bad things and all of them shape us and all of them help us to become the people we are. Um, and the truth is we can't see the future. You know, I remember somebody clearly saying to me before she wouldn't adopt, she was a Christian, she wouldn't adopt because of the, um, you know, data-driven impact or data-driven like research that, that showed the impact on biological children. And we weren't thinking about adoption at the time. This is many years ago. So it didn't really affect me at the time. But when I've reflected on that, I've thought, well, that's really sad because actually we don't know what the future holds for our children. You know, you can have the most settled, happy childhood and still encounter problems as you grow older. Like one thing is not an indicator of another. It's good to be aware, definitely. It's good to be aware yeah. that my children, my birth children might need a bit of extra support in the same way it's good to be aware that I don't know children from you know a divorced family might need a bit mm -hmm. of extra support but it doesn't mean that their life chances are worse just because of what they've experienced yeah they might become more resilient because of what they've experienced yeah. and yeah I, I think there's a, a verse in um, a couple of verses in Proverbs that were really key when Al and I got engaged and uh, it's Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And then there's a verse a little bit later, I can't remember, is it Proverbs 5 or 6? I can't remember, that says, um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I honestly just have, have seen that to be true in my life so much that when you put God first, he sorts out the rest. Hmm. You know, I, I was there was never any doubt in our minds that if God was calling us to adopt with birth children then that was going to that was somehow going to be the right thing and to work out because only god has the perfect bird's eye view of all of time and mm -hmm. space and history um we we don't know how birth children will will turn out yeah. <laughs> but we don't know how they would turn out if we hadn't adopted either so so we just trust god and that and i think there are elements that have been actually really beneficial for our birth children like we've had a lot more parenting training and um, therapeutic parenting training and things that have benefited our parenting of them as well. I think they are more empathetic. I think they're more resilient. Um, I think they have a greater awareness of um, the needs of others, even if they don't always show it. Um, they're just growing up with this kind of being normal. And I think there's great value in that as well. So I can already mm. see some positives. I can probably see some negatives as well. But you can't shield your children from all suffering yeah. and all calamity. You just can't do it. We're not able to do that. So the best thing to do is trust God, trust them to God and trust our family lives to God.
That's awesome. That's a lovely answer. <laughs> I'm encouraged by that because we we would love to foster one day. Um, probably when the boys are a bit older because we'd like to foster older children. Um, but there's always that sort of thing in me of like, oh, is this going to be a calamitous <laughs> for, <laughs> yeah. for my boys? Um, and um, but yes, that's really really encouraging. Thank mm. you. Um. And you say you say on your website you're quite open about the fact that adoption has added complications to your family. Yeah. Um, but you say, but I believe no family is straightforward. But can you unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah. So I think sometimes people have this idea that the younger a child is adopted, the less uh, the fewer issues they'll they'll come into their adoptive home with, and and to some extent that might be true. But even if a child is taken from birth right so even if a child is taken at the very earliest point that they could possibly be taken from their birth family they've still had up to nine months in the womb and it's funny you know when we're pregnant and it's it's a, a longed for pregnancy and, and a happy pregnancy we're all about the sort of you know let's play them classical music because they'll hear and they'll become more intelligent or let's talk to them because they can hear our voices let's sing to them all this stuff we know that they can hear we know that what's happening to our bodies they will feel in some way but somehow we forget that when we're talking about adoptive children or, or foster children children who've had to come away from a birth parent we forget that they'll they will also have created a bond with their birth mum mm. and they'll have heard the voice of their birth mum they'll have heard the voice of birth dad if he's around they'll have encountered possibly abuse physical abuse sexual abuse that might have happened in that pregnancy they'll have felt that they will have um absorbed some of the cortisol the stress hormone if if the mum has been under very stressful um situation which you know she almost certainly has they'll have absorbed possibly alcohol possibly drugs um anything the birth mum has eaten or not eaten that that will have had an impact as well so we forget that actually in utero there's a heck of a lot of stuff that can happen to a child which will affect them in their life and then the separation the breaking of that bond even if it's not been a very safe or healthy place to be that's the person whose heartbeat they've been feeling, whose heartbeat has supported them for the last up to nine months. I say up to nine months because our twins are two months early, so it's seven months for them. But, um, you know, that's the person whose voice they've heard. And you are breaking that attachment, which does something to the brain. So you're, you're breaking off that attachment. So, so even if a child is taken at birth, you've already got some major, major issues to mm -hmm. contend with. And then if you think well, they go to a foster carer, for a few months and then they get adopted then that's another breaking of attachment that's another load set of voices that they've had to hear and attach to and then de detach from um so all these things are going to create issues for a child and part of our training that we've kind of done since adopting has been to to get us to really kind of think through our boys experience in utero and birth mom's experience while she was pregnant and how that might have affected our boys so yeah our, our boys struggle in different ways they struggle with things that birth children might struggle with but for different reasons because of their background so all adopted children will have experienced trauma it, there's no two ways about it whether they're adopted at birth at 14 months like ours or at four years old six years old they'll all have experienced trauma and our boys struggle with anxiety um, they struggle with uh, regulating their emotions they struggle with transitions new things new places 
starting term, finishing term, holidays, birthdays, you know, not always all the time every year, but, it, you know, these are some of the things we've struggled with over the past. So that has a knock-on effect to the rest of the family. You know, like one of them called his older brother an effing idiot this morning, for example. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, yeah. <laughs> talking about vicarage families not being perfect <laughs> as an example. And, you know, that that yeah. was out of order. And maybe he was just slightly justified. We're not quite sure exactly what happened because it's one of those situ situations where we were upstairs, they were downstairs and everyone's story is a bit different. So we're trying to get to the bottom of the truth. But even so, you know, as soon as he said that, we're like, right, that's that's, you know, that's not on so whatever whatever you should have had in that situation sorry that's that's not going to happen because of what you said because you know not to use that language but he he there's also the element of which he's he's not able to to kind of control his language when he's emotionally dysregulated as well so it's just trying to find that balance and even as I speak I think gosh we'll be too harsh on him because he's not able to control his language in a way that maybe others would um you know, so, so it's all, it, these are the challenges of adoptive parenting. You never quite know, am I being too too lenient? Am I being too strict? Am I being too harsh? Am I being empathetic enough? Um, we have to have some boundaries, um, but also we have to acknowledge the fact that they've come from a different background and sometimes now our older two are older, we're able to say to them, look, you didn't have this start to life that your brothers have had. You've, you've always had a very stable start to life and I don't know how much of that they can understand but I'm trying to sort of drip feed that to them as they get older so yeah lots of challenges <laughs> and lots of difficulties but what are the great joys of adoption then I think just the joy our boys are I mean they're our sons we love them to bits they mm. are so funny and kind and lovely to be around especially you know when they're regulated especially <laughs> they're just lovely people um one of them got up early with me this morning to make croissants for the family and he asked oh, me to wake him especially because he was um, sad that I did it without him yesterday because he was still sleeping. So he came down, plodded downstairs and just had so much joy in making these for his siblings. And, you know, they're just, they're lovely. Oh yeah, I was going to say they're lovely, kind people, but a few minutes later that same child was telling me that I looked old. So <laughs> <laughs> the usual joys of having children, but yeah, they're lovely. And actually, you know, when you see all four of them, playing and interacting really nicely together it doesn't always happen I'll be the first to say it you know quite often we leave very separate lives as a family but we've just been away for a few days and just seeing them interact together and enjoy each other's company and being together that is so good that's mm -hmm. so worthwhile and we have a lot of joy in our family and a lot of silliness and a lot of laughter and it's just a kind of crazy funny place to be so and that's are. like any family isn't it absolutely yeah, yeah. I mean absolutely. like those I've had that over Christmas like moments where the boys have played beautifully together mm -hmm. and they're just the best of friends yeah and then the day after my eldest hit his brother over the head with a metal um <laughs> a, a piggy bank I'm laughing because it just sounds so familiar <laughs> but yeah you're absolutely right I mean this is family <laughs> life isn't it yeah I yeah. think another thing is it's I a joy particularly of adoptive parenting I think is it's made me more aware and more able to relate to other families because we don't have for example at the moment we don't have any diagnosed additional needs in our family but a lot of the trauma stuff a lot of the attachment issues that my sons have kind of often look like the the outworking of them looks similar maybe mm -hmm. to a child say with ADHD or with autism or whatever so I feel like that helps me to relate to other families. That helps me to be a bit more gracious and a bit more humble. Mm -hmm. And 
even things like obviously I didn't breastfeed them because they're not my children so even the whole like breast bottle debate you know again it, it's it helps me to relate to um bottle but you know mums who bottle fed and say well that's you know my sons are fine <laughs> they're bottle fed they're fine. you know whereas I think if I'd only had that experience of breastfeeding I might be a little bit or tempted to be a bit smug about it but actually mm-hmm. it, it opens up that field of like yeah my children really struggle with this as well and I hope that when friends confide in their own children's issues mental health issues issues with school whatever it is I have that bit more empathy because we have two boys who struggle too so mm. I mean also our birth children obviously don't <laughs> you know they're not perfect either but um I think that's one thing I'm really grateful to adoption for is just opening up that understanding and awareness of how children are mm. and, and on that note how can um we I say we the pe- people are listening people in church better support families whether they're sort of blended families of adopted and biological children or or just adoptive children or foster children I'd say um a couple of things really I'd say listen always listen um and learn you know it's an opportunity if you know adoptive families to learn more about trauma and attachment don't judge uh, don't be too quick to come in with your own opinion because how you do things in your family might work for you but it probably doesn't work for children who are trauma experienced so just allow them to do things their way and be interested and you know genuinely interested in how they're doing things and why and I think like there needs to be some kind of dogged persistence sometimes with adoptive families like we are always in church because we have to be because well not we we don't have to be but like my husband you know it's easy for us to be in church because my husband's there anyway and we're involved um but I have heard about a lot of adoptive or fostering families who kind of drift away from church because it just becomes really hard to be there, often if the children have got additional needs into the mix as well. Um, and, you know, no no one sort of comes after them or, or tries to make it easier for them to attend. Um, it, it's often hard for them, especially single adopters, to attend, say, a house group in the evening. You know, things that we could do to make it easier for those parents I think are just to like just talk and ask Mm. and listen and like what can we do like do you even want to be part of a house group if you do can we come to you or can we provide a babysitter so you can get out one evening a week and have that much needed time with other adults um you know what would make it easier on a Sunday morning can we have a safe space for your children um or can we just be more welcoming more sort of less judgmental and more inclusive Mm -hmm. on a Sunday morning what's what are the blockages what are the obstacles that making it hard for you to come um and also i I really appreciate it when our when people from our church have us over for meals as well. I hope my church are listening. <laughs> we get lots of invitations, and um, it doesn't happen very often. And I think that's part of, partly because there's lots of us, and I do I do really feel quite self conscious of the size of us. Um, you know, it, it's no small uh, thing to invite six people around, but we are so so touched when people do and when people make the effort and include us. So it's not just us inviting people all the time, but people include us. So I think just yeah be hospitable be welcoming and if that's not possible maybe arrange to or do something together on a Saturday you know include families and I'm particularly thinking of of single adopters um but but those in in marriages or or relationships as well um you can very easily become isolated Mm -hmm. and um you know the adoption community is a good one but actually if adopted children only ever spend time with other adopted children yeah that's not going to be very healthy for them either so yeah just just include and listen and really kind of 
try and work with adoptive families to support them, I think, in in staying part of that church community, which is so vital for all of us. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, that that's been a lovely hour almost. <laughs> but um before I pray for you, I've got um a new little feature on the podcast of I'm gonna ask each guest a little quick fire question. Um two questions in fact. So the first one of these is um knowing what you know now, what piece of advice would you give to yourself the day you first held your first child? Hmm. That's and if you can do it in one line, yeah, <laughs> that's even better. <laughs> don't stress. You'll make lots of mistakes, but don't stress. God's got it. Awesome. Great advice. <laughs> <laughs> and if you could pray something over every mum listening, what would your prayer be? <laughs> Maybe would... don't stress. God's got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> same one. <laughs> I was going to say I would pray that God would be their God, and that sounds silly, but it's very easy to make our children our God as parents, and I've seen that happen a lot. Where you know, in wanting to provide a wonderful childhood, wonderful experiences for our children, we gradually kind of squeeze God out. And it often starts with squeezing church out. That's how it starts often, not always. Um, you know, we're really busy. We've had a really busy weekend, so we'll just miss church or whatever. But, you know, our children are blessings. They're gifts from God, but they are not our God. Their schedules are not our God. Um, so I would pray that every parent would know and be able to cling to the true God, Jehovah, as our God, um, and that our children would would be in the right, place of priority in, in our lives that it's always God first and then our families that's awesome yeah great answer love it can I pray for you before we go yeah please do awesome um dear God we just thank you so much for Lucy and her ministry through the Hopefield family and through parenting for faith we pray that you pour your blessing over that we pray that the right people find her website and find parenting for faith who need it and um we pray those ministries grow and um I pray for Lucy's family as well may it continue to be full of hope and I pray for hope over the families listening today that they may be as hope-filled as as Lucy's and um and also I pray for people who may feel like adoption is on their heart and Lord I, I pray that you feed that feeling if that is a is something that you want them to go down and um make their path easy and straight in that and um just let them know that you're there with them in your name we pray amen amen thank you so much lucy bye-bye remember all the links that we've talked about today can be found on our show notes if you've enjoyed the podcast today please do remember to hit subscribe if you haven't done already And even better, you can help us reach a wider audience by giving a quick review on whichever platform you're listening on. See you next time.